Welcome to the podcast of First Baptist Church of Robbinsville. Thank you for joining us. We trust that the teaching of God's Word will speak to you. Good morning, church family. It is great to be with you today on this day of celebration. So uh, if this is your first time with us, or maybe even if you've been with us, this is going to be a very unique morning today as we're taking a break from our study in the book of Proverbs uh, to really have a chance today to celebrate the story and the work that God has been doing in the life of this church. So today we have the opportunity to uh, recognize the ordination of two men in this church who are now going to be starting to serve uh, with us as deacons. So we're very excited about what God has done in the life of Tim Palmer and Rory Frederick. And uh, over this last year, they've been serving as deacons in, in a yoke fellow type role, which we'll get into in a minute. Um, but we're very thankful for the work that God has done in their lives and look forward to how God will continue to use them in this ministry. Um, but while today we are really celebrating them and, and recognizing them, today is really a message about the work that God is doing. So we don't want to leave here today just excited for Tim and Rory and excited for that, but we want to leave here recognizing the work that God is doing in the lives of individual people and the lives and what God is doing in the life of this church. So that is the story that we actually really want to focus on and celebrate today. So I hope that you will join us in that. Now, this idea of of deacon ordination uh, maybe is a new concept to you. So if you've been, um, maybe you've, you've been at other churches and you've seen this practice in a lot of different ways and, and different churches kind of define the role of deacon pretty differently. And so uh, maybe this is going to be very new to you. And so we're excited for that. And this will really give us a chance to kind of explain how we see God um, using this church and how this church is structured and trying to fulfill the mission that he's given to us. So today we'll get to do that a little bit together. Um, but part of the reason we are really really celebrating today. If you look on the back of your bulletin, every year we ask uh, for the church body to pray along with these prayers. And, and one of the prayers of this year that we, we, we pray that God will raise up leaders uh, for growing ministries and new opportunities. And today we are celebrating that God has done that. So God saw fit to help us bring more people onto this team of helping to minister through this church. So we're very thankful for him doing that. So as we think about deacon ordination, this is kind of the approach for today. We're going to start out really broadly and just figure out what is a deacon? What does that even mean? Um, and then we're going to kind of zoom in a little bit and specifically say, what is a, what is a deacon within a local church? And how does that function? And then we're going to close uh, with just a short challenge where I get to just really look at Tim and Rory and offer them a specific challenge in their new role of ministry. So let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will begin our study today. Father, as we take a moment to pray, we just come to you rejoicing for the work that you're doing in this local body. Father, we rejoice and give thanks for the work that you've done in the life of Rory and the life of Tim. And, uh, and Father, we are so thankful that you saw fit to continue to raise up leaders for the work of this church. Father, we trust and we know that you are the one who builds the church, and we trust and we know that, God, you are the one who will provide all that we need to accomplish the mission that you've given to us. So, Father, we continue to walk by faith, trusting you to do your job, and today we get a chance to stop and to celebrate and to give you thanks for these men and for the work that you're doing in their lives and among us today. So God, I pray today that you would challenge us with who you are, that you would help us to see how even this topic of being a deacon is actually applicable to every single one of us. And I pray, God, that you would help us to see areas of our life where we can be more conformed to the image of your son. So we thank you for your word, and we thank you for being with us this morning. In your name we pray, amen. 
So just as we give a little background, what is a deacon? What does that word even mean? And it's actually a very common word in the New Testament. It's used almost a hundred times. And yet when we see the word deacon, it just means this very simple idea of a servant. It's one who recognizes the needs of another and is willing to do something about it. Now, when we think of deacon, oftentimes we think immediately of a role within a church. And actually, when the Bible talks about that specific part of it, it only mentions that a few times in the New Testament. The vast majority of times, the word deacon is used in this broad sense of one who serves. So I want to give you some examples of that. First, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. Paul's writing this church, and this church was having some division, but look at how he addresses that. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers, or deacons, through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? So when we think of the Apostle Paul, and we think of Apollos, we think of guys who are church planners. They are they're preachers. They're people on the front lines of ministry. And yet, as Paul is describing his role and Apollos' role, he says, primarily, we are servants. We are people who recognize the work that God is trying to do, and we are becoming the instruments through whom God is doing that work. Do you see that laid out here in this verse? He says, God has given this church, but how is he going to reach this church? How is he going to bring this church and these individuals into his family? He says he's going to do it through these people called servants. These people who are willing to look outside of themselves and look into the needs of others and to say, how can God use me to bring them to himself? That's what it means to be a servant. And so here, this is a really common way that we see people talking about themselves in the New Testament. You know, we think of of, of James, the half-brother of Jesus, and all the different ways that he could say, hey, I'm James, Jesus' brother. But actually, instead, he says, I am James, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. And so throughout the New Testament, we recognize no matter the role that people have, the, the, the heart that God wants all of us to carry is this one of serving. So what does it mean to be a servant? We see here that they were devoted to a task that was greater than their personal gain or comfort. Paul and Apollos really went through a lot of really hard circumstances. They faced some nasty situations in all of their ministries. And yet they continue to press on because they realize what I am working for and what I'm giving my life to values so much more than this momentary discomfort that I'm feeling. Now that is a really hard thing to actually live out in our lives. We really love our comfort. We love our security. We love our stability. And yet oftentimes when we think about serving other people, those two things really start to conflict. Because if I want to give my life to serve someone else, typically that person may just kind of start to consume and take a lot from me. And all of a sudden my time and my freedom starts to get taken away. But the heart of a servant embraces that. The heart of a servant says what I am fighting for, what I'm trying to be used by God to accomplish is worth way more than my momentary comfort. So they focused on something bigger than themselves. But we also see they were, they were very focused and aware of the needs of other people. You see, it's one thing to say, hey, I am here to meet people's needs. But to actually have the eyes to see those needs and to do something about it is a little bit more complicated. Right? Oftentimes, we kind of prefer the blinders of just, well, if they just told me what they need, I'd do something. But the heart of a servant is one who's looking. They're looking out at the people and they're saying, you know what, that person may not even understand their great need, but I see it and I want to help them do something about it. Do you remember back to your life when there was this time where you were a spiritually blind person and you had no idea, you didn't recognize your need for the Lord? 
And yet someone at some point in your life came across your path and was being willing to be used by God, and they helped you to recognize a need that you didn't even know you had. So as we think about what does it mean to be a servant, it's not only saying I'm willing to meet a need, but I'm also going to look out and see the needs of people so that I can proactively do something about it. And we see Paul and Apollos offering an example of that. And finally, we see that they were serving on behalf of someone else. You see, they didn't just serve these people because they wanted to have a great following. They recognized, hey, you know what? I ultimately am serving the Lord. This isn't really about just those people getting their needs met. This is about what can I do to serve the Lord who has given me everything that I could ever need. So the heart of a servant is one who recognizes this is much bigger than me. It's much bigger than you. This is about the work that the Lord is trying to accomplish. And so when Paul and Apollos, they recognize we are servants of the Lord, they are ultimately saying, you know what, I'm not even in control. I don't get to call the shots on this thing. I am following the one who is in authority. That's a very hard position to to be in. Think about how hard it really is to serve, even those we deeply love. That can be a challenge on a day-to-day basis. But not only does Paul and Apollos demonstrate this, we see another example given in Scripture. This is from Jesus himself. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, or did not come to be deaconed, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now, as we step back and just look at this, just this simple introduction of Jesus, just as the Son of Man, well, that's how Jesus is referring to himself. It's kind of a unique title, but think about what Jesus is saying when he calls himself the Son of Man. Who is Jesus? He is fully God, the creator and sustainer of all things. And he, and he refers to himself in this humble way as the Son of Man. Now, when we see this title used throughout the Bible, it's often tied to this, this idea of sacrifice and suffering, particularly when it comes to his crucifixion. He calls himself the Son of Man, the one who has come to serve mankind. That's a remarkable reality. And so here is Jesus, God of, of the universe, and he came to earth not in order to be on the receiving end of serving, but to be on the giving end. You know, maybe we could wrap our minds around God becoming a man if we looked at it and said, he came down here just so the whole world would see who he was and to serve him. Maybe that would sort of make sense to us. But to think that the God of the universe did not come to be served, but to serve, that is beyond anything that makes sense in our minds. Because logically, this is beyond explanation. There is no, there is no reason to give that would make sense of this, except... For one who is so moved with love that they would be willing to do something so radical. There's no other explanation that the God of the universe would come to serve other than he looked down on the needs of mankind and was so moved with a heart of service that he said, I am going to do something about this problem because they are hopeless without me. The ultimate heart of a servant. So how did Jesus demonstrate this heart of a servant? He says he gave his life as a ransom for many. Well, I think we could all agree there's no greater way to serve than to give your physical life. For Jesus to look and to say these people are without hope. They are completely stuck in their sin. They are beyond any chance of restoring this themselves. 
It is only through my perfect life and death and resurrection that they have a chance of being reconciled to God. Jesus saw that need. He was the only one who had a chance to meet that need, and he took action to do just that. So this is a tremendous way that we see him being a servant and recognizing the needs of others. But we also know that in the day-to-day process of living on this earth, he lived as a servant. In the daily grind, in the daily frustration, the daily exhaustion, the daily hunger, he lived as a servant. Why did he do that? Well, it's really the same reasons we just talked about a minute ago. He was devoted to something much greater than his personal comfort. There was really no part of Jesus coming to earth that brought him comfort. Instead, when he came to earth and he served, what did he get? He got ridicule, he got hatred, he got rejected. And yet he chose to do it anyway because he realized what I am doing is so much greater than this momentary comfort that I could experience. He was willing to sacrifice that for the greater good of these people. So this calling was much higher than himself. Now, as we look at Jesus, we think, man, this is an incredible calling. And this is a beautiful picture of what it means to be a servant. But, you know, Jesus does this really radical thing just a few chapters later. He takes his example of serving and he says, you know what? I want every single one of you to go do the same thing. I want every single one of you to not look for how can you be on the receiving end of service, but how can you be on the giving end of service? So this is what he says in Matthew 23. He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What do you think of when you think of greatness? When we think of people who are great, we think of people who who have this plethora of people at their disposal. You think, of, you think of the Queen of England or something who, just, who can just, just command anybody to do anything and it's going to be done. That seems great. That seems great to have that kind of position where you can just, any need that you have, there's somebody there to meet it. That would be pretty great. What do we think about when it comes to our places of employment? Who's the great one at our jobs? It's the one who has the power. The one who has the authority, the one who gets to call the shots, the one who gets to determine what decisions are going to be made. Who has the, who's the greatest one in our home? Who's the one who gets to control the house? Who's the one who gets what he or she wants? And oftentimes, this is how we define and think of greatness. If I could only be that one who gets anything that I want, that would be great. And Jesus does what he often does. He takes our ideas and completely inverses them to show us how foolish and wrong we are in our thinking. Who is greatest among you? You remember why he's answering this question? Because his very own disciples were arguing, I think I'm going to be greater than you in the kingdom of heaven. And so he comes and he says, you know what? Do you want to be great? Do you want to live a life that God would define as great? He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. The life that Jesus defines as greatness is not the one who receives the most service, but the one who gives the most when it comes to serving. Who is the greatest one among you? It's the one who lives their life as a deacon, a servant, someone aware of the needs of others and who lives for a purpose better, bigger than themselves. So how do we get there? Do you see the end of this verse? Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. There's this really strong connection between this ability to live as a servant and our pride. 
You see, when I struggle with pride or arrogance, the last thing I want to do is to serve someone else. When pride dominates my life, everyone exists to feed that pride and to meet my needs. Well, this is obviously a very destructive way of living and very destructive towards our relationships. And so instead, Jesus, again, he reverses this and he says, what I am looking for who are, are those who are willing to be humbled. You know, serving is a very humbling role. Serving in these ways and meeting the needs of other people is not always going to get you a lot of accolades. It's not often going to be recognized. We are blessed in this church to have a lot of people who serve the Lord in ways that most of us never even see or realize. The ways that they make phone calls to shut-ins, the way that they serve in the nursery and in the kids' programs, the ways that they, they help around these facilities, the way they meet the needs of people within this church. And yet they do that with this attitude of humility. It's not about being recognized. I'm not doing this for my own benefit, but I'm doing this because this is the heart and this is the attitude that God says describes one who is great in his kingdom. And so he promises us this future reality that the one who lives this way today, the one who lives as a servant today, one day will be recognized. That's the recognition we want. We want to, to go to, to live with eternity with God the Father and say, thank you for living your life as a servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the reward that we want and yet when we live with pride today and we use other people as means to our ends, we are missing out on this good thing that God is offering to us. So what does it mean to be a, a deacon in a general sense? A deacon is a humble servant who sees and cares for the needs of others because they live for a greater purpose than personal comfort. Now, do you recognize here why this idea of deacon, servant is actually very applicable to every one of us? Now, very few of us in this room will ever serve in the role of deacon at a church, and yet God is calling every one of us to live this role. In your home, at your work, at your school, God is calling us to live as a humble servant. So now, as we have this broad understanding of what a deacon and what a servant is, we want to narrow this down and say, okay, well, what does this mean for the life of a church? Again, the New Testament speaks very little about this. Only a few times is it very clear that it's talking about the role of a deacon within a church. And yet, as we take, as we take this broad idea of serving and we just kind of fit it into the context of a church, it makes sense. The role of a deacon is not only to live as a servant who just cares for those around them, but they also start to think more broadly about how do I serve the church as a whole? How do I look at the needs of this entire church and help, help the church move forward in the ways of serving that I can offer? And so we're going to see in the book of Acts, now it doesn't specifically say these men are deacons, but it does give this very clear picture of how serving works in the church. And I want us to remember before we jump into Acts 6, what's going on in the church at that time? Well, the church had just exploded in growth. Thousands of new people had come to the faith. And as you think about that, that's really exciting. But what happens when you have thousands of new believers gathering together? All of a sudden, there's a whole lot more needs. There's a whole lot more people who need attention, they need love, they need care. And all of a sudden, this can feel very overwhelming to the few leaders who were really understood what they were aiming at. And so as we can imagine, as the needs were rising, a problem started to occur. So Acts 6 verse 1 says this, Now in these, those days, 
when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Now, these are some terms that we may not be super familiar with, but it's important for us to know. When we think of the, the idea of Hebrews here, these are both groups, these Hebrews and these Hellenists, were people of Jewish descent, okay? So they had the same lineage, and yet, you remember when Rome came in and they took over, their idea was, how do we spread Roman culture everywhere? And so they started forcing people to learn to speak Greek because they wanted, they wanted everyone to accept and embrace the Roman culture. So as a result, you have these certain Jewish people who were forced to move from Jerusalem, and they had to learn to speak other languages, and they started to kind of lose some of their, that, that connection to their past, and so then there's this other group, that's, that's the Hellenists, those who have started to lose that language and kind of lose that connection to their roots. And so there was this other group called the Hebrews. They had stayed in Jerusalem. They continued to hold their old traditions. They continued to speak their native language. And so now these two groups are kind of merging back together here at Jerusalem. And what's the problem? This is a great prob- potential for conflict. Because you have these two groups who don't really love each other. There's, there's some tension there. One group really thinks they're the real ones. They're the pure ones. And then there's these outsiders. And you have these outsiders coming in with, with real needs. They don't know how the system works. And so you have these widows who need help. And, and they're missing out. So as we think about this scenario, we, we recognize here the primary problem is this is a problem of disunity. At the core of this thing, there is an issue at hand that could divide and destroy this whole thing. And so when we start to see how a deacon fits into what's going on here, we recognize one of the primary things that deacons do for the church is they help to protect the unity of the body. So as the deacons meet the needs of the church and they look out and they see needs arising, they look to solve those needs in a way that protects the unity of the body. Extremely important. So how does it go on? What did they do? Verse 2, the 12 summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So the, the 12 apostles here, they recognize the problem. They see this is a legitimate issue that we need to, to address. And so what are we going to do about it? So they brought the church together and they said, look, here, here's a real problem. This is an issue, but God has given us a very specific way that we're supposed to serve. And if we get distracted by something like this, this could also become a problem. Now, we read that idea there, this idea of it's not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. And maybe the idea that comes to our mind is kind of this high-hattedness. I can't go serve tables, right? That's below me. That's not what's going on here. Instead, they're saying, look, we have a primary way that we serve the church. And if we get distracted from that primary way of serving, this is going to be a problem. So we need to make sure this need is addressed, but it's addressed in a very careful way. So what do they do? Verse 3, therefore, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they didn't ignore the problem. They recognized the need. And so instead, what did they say they have to do? We need to grow our team. The needs of this body are growing. We need to grow the team. We need more people who understand the vision we are aiming at and who are willing to sacrifice of themselves to help us accomplish what we are trying to do. And so they brought these men in. But what do you recognize about the men they brought in? These aren't just random people. 
They aren't just like, hey, is there anybody willing to do this? We're kind of stuck. Or maybe nobody's volunteering, so we're just going to say, it's you. This is your year. You're the man this year. You're going to do it. No, this was extremely important. Look at how it describes them. They were men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. God did not take the appointment of these men lightly. We need men whose reputation is good. These are people who, who they're thought well of. These are people who the body respects and, and can say, that's a model that I want to live my life after. They're men of the Holy, full of the Holy Spirit. So they're men who are being changed by the work of the Spirit in their lives. They're growing in their understanding of how to let the Spirit live through them and not to live for their own desires. And they're men of wisdom. They're men who can look at the needs of a situation and not just kind of frantically say, I don't really know how to fix this. But they can take the principles of God's Word and apply it to that situation and meet that need in a way that brings unity and honor to the Lord. Very serious calling here. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see this long list of qualifications for deacons. And we're not going to go over that today. We've done that uh, previously. You can go online if you're interested in that. But there is a point in there that I really want to make today in verse 10. As it's talking about these deacons, it says this, but let those first be tested and let them serve as deacons being found blameless. You see here again, he's emphasizing the importance of don't just throw somebody into this position. The role of a deacon is not a popularity vote. It's not a blind thing that we all just pick somebody. But instead, he's saying, look for those who are already living this out. We don't put people into the role of deacon so that maybe now they'll actually get serious. Maybe if we give them this title, they'll, they'll really take this seriously. No, we're looking for men of godly character who are already serving with their lives. And we are saying, we recognize the work that God's doing within you. We want to formalize this in the way that you serve the church. And so some of you may know the way we, we practice this principle at the church here is we have this thing called a deacon yoke fellow. And so for one year, people who we've recognized are serving in this way, we bring them alongside. And we say, hey, we recognize that you are serving. We want to give you a year to kind of learn more about what this looks like. And that does two really important things. It lets the other leaders of the church look at that one's life and say, yes, this is a good fit for you. But it also gives that man a chance to say, you know what, this is just not for me. And that is an okay thing. And so we want to take this seriously. And these men have been at this for about a year and a half now before we get to this day where we are ready to recognize where they're at in their journey. So as we go back to the book of Acts, what happens when this is done well? Verse 7, the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is what happens when we structure the church as God tells us to do it. When elders understand their primary role is prayer and the sharing of God's word. When deacons understand their primary role is to meet the needs and to serve the greater needs of the body. Now again, this doesn't mean there's no overlap. Because oftentimes we know deacons also serve, or elders serve to meet physical needs. And you know what's fascinating is these deacons went on in the book of Acts and they were some of the primary men who took the gospel from Jerusalem and preached and proclaimed the gospel message throughout the world. So this doesn't mean a deacon never teaches the word, a deacon never prays. No, these roles do have some ground of blending, but it does say, look, we've got to stay focused on what specifically God has equipped us to do. 
So elders are specifically called to lead the church in prayer and the proclamation of the word. Elder, deacons are specifically called to lead the church through serving. When we get that right, God can use that in great ways. When we get that wrong and there's confusion and there's men serving outside of their giftedness, chaos is certainly going to follow. And so what happened to this church? We see here that the word of God spread. The team was growing and people were having their, their needs met and they were growing and all of a sudden God's word was growing in its ability to impact others. The number of disciples greatly multiplied in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Now I want to look at this last idea for a second. This idea of priests. Priests were the people who rubbed shoulders with the everyday people. Now, as you think about that, why would putting these deacons in place have an impact on these priests? Because they, the deacons started meeting the needs of everyday people. These everyday people were being changed by what they were experiencing, and all of a sudden, those they were rubbing shoulders with started to be affected by it. You see, deacons are an extremely important part of this team. They're the boots on the ground, this ground-level thing of helping people understand how to be free in Christ and to meet the needs that they have. And when that happens, people's lives are affected by what they see. So we, at this day, we want to give thanks for the faithful deacons that God has given to this church. And we want to continue to pray that God will raise up more people to meet the growing needs of this church, because we are blessed. God is building this church, but that does mean our needs are growing. And so we're going to continue to walk by faith, because He is ultimately the one who makes these people. So now I want to transition just for a moment and specifically talk to Rory and Tim. You all are free to listen then. This week I was uh, just reading in my quiet time in the book of Isaiah, and I came across this verse that has absolutely nothing to do with being a deacon. But when I read this verse, it speaks so clearly to the heart that we are after that I've just really enjoyed two things this week. I've enjoyed being able to stop back and reflect on you two men and to see how this heart describes you two. We are so thankful for what we've seen in your life this year. We are thankful for the men that you are. We're thankful for the work that God is doing in your life. And so I want to share with you kind of what we're seeing in you, but also really challenge you to keep this up and don't get distracted. So Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19 is the verse I want to challenge you with. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now again, a kind of a strange verse to focus on as we think about a challenge to you men as you serve. But here we see in Isaiah this problem. The church was full of sinful people who were running from the Lord. And, and God speaks through Isaiah, and he looks forward to this day after Christ has come, and he says, I'm going to wash their sins away. But what is the heart that he was looking for in his people, and what's the heart he's still looking for today? He's looking for people who are willing and obedient. As we think about the role of being a deacon, both specifically for you two, but also broadly for us, does this describe our heart? Are we willing servants? Are we people who are willing to do the thankless jobs? Are we people who are willing to sacrifice of ourselves and our freedom for the good of others? This year, we've seen you men be willing to serve in a lot of ways that people don't recognize. We've seen you give of yourselves in ways that are absolutely beautiful, and we are so thankful for that. My prayer for you is that you would continue to be willing servants, because there's always times in life where serving becomes hard, where we no longer want to serve. 
I pray in that moment that you'd be able to stop and remember the joy and privilege it is to serve God's body. That God is allowing you to be part of something so much bigger than yourself. Yes, we're going to struggle, but as long as you remain a willing person, God can use that. Secondly, obedience. What does that mean? You know, we can be willing and be very disobedient in our hearts. And yet what God is after is someone who's both willing and obedient. Someone who's willing to say, not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Somebody who's willing to follow and willing to say, primarily, I want to be a lead follower of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing the church needs from you and the greatest thing that the church needs for the leaders of homes and businesses and schools is men and women who are first committed to their own personal walk with the Lord. You may be the greatest servant in this church, but if your heart, if you have lost your first love of the Lord, we are in a dangerous place. So above all, remain obedient to your calling to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Love your family well. Prioritize your personal time with the Lord and never lose that drive for Him. And here we see the promise. What happens? What can God do with a heart that is willing and obedient? If you live this way, you shall eat of the good of the land. Brothers, I want to encourage you that serving the Lord is a great privilege. And God has promised to faithfully reward those who serve him well. We want your lives to experience the goodness of the Lord. We want you to experience the joy of serving him. And when we we sacrifice of ourselves, yes, it costs us personally, but we get to experience more of the goodness of who he is. And not only can you experience that goodness but you can help lead this church in experiencing the goodness of who he is. So specifically, I challenge you to, but broadly, this is a calling for all of us as a church. How do we be men and women who are willing and obedient so that we can allow this community more of God's goodness? Let me pray. Father, I thank you so much for the beautiful model of servanthood that we see throughout the authors of the New Testament, and and primarily through your Son. Lord, what an incredible reality that the God of the universe was, was so moved by love that he was willing to serve in extravagant ways. Father, we thank you for the work that you're doing in not only Tim and Roy's life, but in the lives of so many in this church, that you are giving and you are changing hearts so that people are serving and loving one another intentionally. God, may you continue to do that great work in this place. We thank you and we rejoice today for the work that you are doing. And God, we pray that you would protect Tim and you would protect Rory, protect their families and protect their hearts as they seek to serve you in this new way. In your name we pray, amen. Just find yourself sitting there in the upper room. The betrayal happens tonight. The arrest happens tonight. The crucifixion happens tomorrow morning. But we we don't know that. Just find yourself there with Jesus. And for just a moment, see him with the towel around his waist. See him with the water and the water basins as he begins to pour the water into the basin. And just maybe the curiosity stirs in your mind. Maybe you're wondering everything about today has been different. 
But as he begins to wash the disciples' dirty, stinky feet, just hear the look to Peter and just hear Peter for a moment, just maybe in shock, maybe in awe, maybe from guilt and the feelings of, un, of worthlessness. We're not completely sure, but just hear Peter say for a moment, Lord, are you, are you washing my feet? And Jesus looks to Peter and he looks to us and he says, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus says to you and he says to him, he says to us, I don't wash your feet. You don't have any part with me. Can we respond like Peter? Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Let that be the cry of the church. And as Jesus washes his feet, as he washes the feet of Judas, he says these words, do you, do you know what I've done to you? you? You call me teacher and Lord and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And there's the flow through. There's the beauty of the church. There's the, the outflow of the church as we go out. And this is, this is, this is our prayer this morning that maybe you're the, you're the older or the younger brother or sister. You're the mom, the dad, the grandparent. You're the friend or you're the teammate or you're the coworker, But that this service would all compel us wherever we are to be the flow through. For I have given you an example, Jesus said, that you should do as I've done for you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who sent greater than he who sent him. But if you know these things... If we, the church, know these things, Jesus says, blessed are you if you do them. Blessed are we as the church if we be the flow through. So we want to ask Tim and Rory to come on up and, and take a seat in these chairs. And we want to ask the deacons and the elders to, to fall in line. As we follow in obedience to what Jesus has set before us.
Well, church, we always celebrate milestones um, here at First Baptist with the presentation of Bibles. And so this morning, we want to take the opportunity to present these to these gentlemen. So, gentlemen and church, as we look at the presentation of the Bible and why this is important, I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. He said, I'm writing these things to you, Timothy, hoping to come to you before long. But in case I'm delayed, I write so that you will know how one should act in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the support of truth. Church and deacons, this is his church. He bought and paid for it. And so anything that we do, whether it is leading in this church body or leading in our homes, is to be done according to his word. His word is the standard. We need it because he's the architect. He wrote it, he said it, and that settles it. So guys, our decisions... Anything that we do in life, whether personally, with our families, or within this church body, are to be done according to his word. And guys, finally, the office of a deacon is described as a servant. You've heard this this morning. And the waiting of tables is often brought out as one of the main examples that we think of when it comes to serving as a deacon. But guys, you must remember... The church is not a luxury cruise ship. This is not the butler's guide for how to prepare the tablecloths and to set the china. This book, Ephesians chapter 6, tells us that we're in a war. And so the fact is, this is the operations manual for soldiers on a battleship. Deacons, your service of waiting tables is that you're caring for these soldiers who are in a war. These soldiers are being served their nourishment in the battleship's mess hall. They're being fed and prepared for battle. And it's your service that is rooted in God's word that will help them be equipped for the ministry set before them. So we thank you for this and we remind you of this as we present these Bibles. So Trevor, I'll turn it over to you. If you all come in, lay your hands on these guys, we'll close out this service in a word of prayer. Father, we so appreciate the, the truths that we've heard here today from your word. And Lord, we just celebrate uh, these two men uh, on, on this occasion. We thank you, Father, for seeing fit uh, to, to create, if you will, the office of the deacon. And uh, Lord, we just, we, we're excited today to get to ordain these men into this office. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the, for the heart that these men have to serve your bride. Uh, we're encouraged by uh, just their, their love for your body. And Father, we want to lift them up to you in prayer. We want to we pray for their families. We want to pray for them. Uh, Lord, we know that in the days and weeks to come that no doubt the enemy will, will try to... Uh, to discourage them, to try to defeat them, Father, and ultimately try to destroy them and destroy their testimony, Father. But we want to pray for them. We want to pray uh, just a hedge of protection around them. And, Father, we just want to, we want to pray for them 
um, as they uh, seek to serve this body. And we thank you for their love for this body and for their love for you. And we know that, that the, the love that, that they have for you is manifested in their service uh, to this bride. And so, Father, we want, uh, as, as they continue to, to serve in this office, Father, we want to lift them up to you and pray that, um, that they would just be an encouragement, uh, not only to this body, but to a watching world, and that the world would see their testimony and how they love you and how they love your body. And so, Father, we pray for them today. We pray for their families and we pray for their ministry. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for his sake and his glory. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you were encouraged by the teaching of God's word. If you have questions or would like more information about our church, you can find us at www.robbinsvillefbc.org or call the office at 828-479-3423. God bless you and have a great day.